Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King coming to you from the drivehuber.com studios. Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. It wasn't just a sad night for Colts fans, but Pacers fans as well. As the Pacers last night, despite a shorthanded Pelicans roster fall 113 to 93 on the road at Smoothie King Center. Our next guest was on the ground at Smoothie King Center in New Orleans. It's one Eddie Gill, the Pacers Radio Network. Eddie, appreciate you making time for us as always, good sir. And when you look at last night's matchup, it, things went flat from the start. Uh, what were your biggest takeaways from? How the Pacers, we've seen it against the Nets now once and now against the Pelicans when the other team's shorthanded for whatever reason, things get tough for them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, thanks, thank you guys for having me. Um, definitely actually got off to a, a decent start of the game and then um, I think it was a timeout called and then uh, the Pelicans came out and just obviously took control of the game. Um, you know, it's something to be said about that team as well. Um, it's, it's, you know, a lot of times you always look at, hey, well, what did we did wrong, do wrong and some of those types of things, and you definitely want to address those, improve those, make some progress. But sometimes you got to give the other team credit. Uh, even though they're down, uh, their best players, a couple of their best players, that team has been down those guys uh, for quite a bit of this season, and they have, a, I believe, 21-12 and 12 record. Uh, Brandon Ingram's missed 17 games. Zion Williamson missed eight games as well. So, uh, they have a, a, a good team and well-coached team, uh, but the Pacers did come out a little bit flat and just were unable to, to establish any sort of rhythm on either end of the floor. Hey, Eddie, it's Brendan. Back-to-back tonight, Hawks coming to town at 7.30, and Atlanta really is the team that the Pacers are right tied with for seventh in that play-in section of the Eastern Conference. So uh, what kind of battle test should we expect to see from the Pacers tonight? Because I would imagine they're going to come out with a little bit more juice after being a little flat last night. How big is tonight for them? I think it's huge. I think it's a, it's a great night to, uh, to have a back-to-back on, right? You know, underwhelming performance last night, uh, but you're able to c- come back home, play in front of the home crowd. Uh, should be big and exciting crowd, obviously, with the holiday season, and uh, be able to get a bounce-back win, uh, or at least there's, you have the opportunity for it to get that done. It won't be easy, obviously, this team led by Trey Young, uh, you know, one of the best young point guards in the game. He's a he's a handful in the pick-and-roll situation, unlimited range. Um, so a good team and, and a well-coached team is, you know, former coach and Nate McMillan. Um, he's had success down down there with that team at the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of years ago. So it should, should be a fun game to watch. Eddie, we've looked at the top contenders in the East as a measuring stick for where this young Pacers team is at. And there were, you know, concerns or criticisms early on that, OK, maybe it was a, a, a softer schedule or an easy schedule. But, hey, you take advantage of what's in front of you. This road trip, still rather impressive, though, despite the loss to New Orleans. You get wins over two uh, Eastern Conference contenders in terms of being in the finals this year in Miami and Boston. When you round out that whole road trip, obviously it's hard to fully put a cap on this stretch since there's still one game to go. But how would you feel in terms of them navigating against two of the top teams in the East before battling New Orleans? Yeah, I think you got to be happy with the overall uh, you know, two on one record in those three games. Um, obviously, if you get the first two, you you start licking your chops, thinking <laughs> you can get three of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, Boston has been a, a top two or three team in the entire league throughout the throughout the season. Uh, Miami hasn't played up to their potential as of yet, but they're always a really tough team. 
um, and you go on the road and get both of those wins, so you feel really, really good about yourself. Um, so overall, I think you know it's, it's positive, and you, and you see what you're capable of, you see the potential, and then now it's just going out night after night, uh, living up to those those um, kind of updated expectations that you may have for yourself. Eddie, you're a guy that played for a long time. The growth that we continue to see out of Tyrese Halliburton, I mean, between Boston and Miami, guy dropped 76 points, and I realize there may have been some outside factors of motivation and whatnot. A lot of people were talking on that weekend, um, whether that was positive or negative, but I feel like Halliburton just locked in. Uh, from the time he got here, Eddie, to now, has what kind of leap have you seen him take already in his young Pacers career? I mean, there's a, a dramatic leap he's taken. Uh, you can attribute that a lot to, you know, added responsibility, added expectation, and, and bigger than any of that is uh, added opportunity. You know, when you think about him being with Sacramento Kings, not only was he a younger player in his rookie year, uh, but he's also sharing the basketball with De'Aaron Fox, who's a, a tremendous young point guard in his own right. So when you, when you, um, you don't have another guy that you're necessarily sharing the basketball with and you're looked at as the – number one playmaker for the team, you know, that there's something to be said about the confidence that, that grows within you. He's encouraged, you know, tremendously by his, his teammates, his coaching staff, and they've done a great job of, of you know, playing a style that, that really fits his game, and that's something fast-paced, uh, free to some degree. He's a good decision-maker, so you trust him. And, um, you know, with all those, you know, all those factors being – thrown in the pot you, you've you've seen a guy who's really taken it dramatically Eddie there's going to be some nights where from beyond the arc it's just not falling for you Pacers uh outside of Buddy Heald 9 of 35 from beyond the arc last night uh, in terms of where this offense needs to continue to grow where can they find avenues for success when shots aren't falling from downtown yeah, well, they've clearly have committed to the three ball, which you know, which they which they should, and and have had some success with because you have more than capable shooters on the team. Right. Uh, but but I think Rick Carlisle mentioned it early on, really early on in the season, and I I believe it wholeheartedly. Uh, you have to hang your hat on your defensive end because there's going to be nights when those shots don't fall. Um, there's a thing called a scouting report, and teams know that that's what you want to do, so they try to make those shots a little bit more difficult. As you play the better teams, uh, they'll make them even even more difficult. So now how do you combat that? And that's being able to play good defense, uh, get out in transition, and attack the paint, uh, do a nice job of trying to get around the rim, see if you can get some shots there, uh, earn some trips to the free throw line, and that kind of thing if you don't have the three ball going. So um, first and foremost is what you're able to do on the defensive end to keep you in the game until those shots start falling. Eddie, you mentioned Rick, and early on in the season, Ben Matherin was saying that he has encouraged Rick Carlisle to coach him harder and point out some of the flaws in his game. I remember Tyrese Halliburton talked about that on an entire plane ride home. Rick was watching tape with Tyrese, and that's all they did on, on the trip home. So the approach that Rick has taken with coaching up these young players, first of all, how impressed have you been with kind of the diversity in how he has been able to coach different individuals? And of course, that's what a championship coach, I'm sure, brings to the table. Yeah, I'm incredibly impressed um, because I, I played for Rick Carlisle, uh, you know, 16, 17 years ago, um, whatever it was, and, and his style then has adjusted to to now, right, in a dramatic way. And I think uh, in order to improve and evolve as an individual and as a coach, you, you know, you have to do that. And he's been willing uh, to make that adjustment to this younger 
uh, group that's kind of come into the league now, and, and I, I've seen they gravitate towards his, his style, and he's done the same to, to theirs. Um, and when you mentioned Benedict Matherin, I think you got to give him a lot of credit as well, being vocal about, hey, coach me hard. I want to learn. I want to, you know, make some progress and some some growth, and you know, expedite that learning curve. So. Um, I think they have a really good group overall, and, and Rick Carlisle has done a nice job of, of adjusting to the to kind of the new age player. Eddie, to kind of build off of Brandon's question, you played in the league. You know what the grind is all about. He stressed last night, and you can tell the frustration because of the championship pedigree that he comes from and because of the standard that he holds, where if there's one thing you can control – it's effort, and for the most part this season it's been there, but but it's tough over the slog of the 82-game season to continue that night over night over night. How, how do you manufacture that as a player going through the grind and try to stay focused within it to, to not let your energy effort dip that's kind of happened to the Pacers at times this season? Yeah, it's a, it's a mental approach. A lot of times the mental approach is far greater than the, than the physical because – uh, I think if you have the mental piece, then the physical piece just comes along with it. Um, but to your point, yeah, 82 games, you're playing about four games a week. And right now they're in a stretch where they're going to play about every other day for a month or so. And, and being able to bring it every single night is, is definitely a challenge. Um, but we've seen the teams that do have that type of mental fortitude, their success there. It's just undoubted. It's something that's, uh, that happens for them o- over that span of time. But it's just um, – Taking care of your body, you know, when you, when you do have some downtime, and then and, and taking care of your mental when you do have that downtime, and then being able to get out there uh, when, when the popcorn starts popping and, and you're ready to go. But um, it, it's definitely a challenge. But again, I think the you, you see it the, the great teams they just find a way. They have good veteran leadership, uh, which I think you know there's a couple pieces for the for the Pacers where they do have that veteran leadership. Uh, mixed in with some good young talent. Eddie Gill is joining us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and the themowershop.com. Eddie, the Pacers already turning heads this season, 17 wins, where I think they were only slated, at least per the sports books, to have 23 or 24, so they're clearly doing good work. And quickly, the conversation of playoffs have come up with this team. Whether or not they make the playoffs, there's a long, long way to go. But you're a guy, Eddie, that played in the playoffs with this team. And I was just looking at the roster just by curiosity earlier to see the guys that have played in the postseason that are on this team. T.J. McConnell, Miles Turner, James Johnson, uh, Aaron Neesmith has played in the postseason. Buddy Heald is not. Tyrese Halliburton is not. So this long-winded question comes down to this. As a player, Eddie, when you go to the postseason for the first time, what do you immediately learn? It's a new season, and the intensity – gets to another level. Um, you know, you see pretty quickly um, that guys are playing to, to, you know, to go on. They're playing for a championship. And some of those games uh, have a feel like that throughout the 82-game season. You, you'll play a handful of those games through the season in which, like, you're like, wow, this is a playoff atmosphere with the crowd, with the intensity of the game, how hard both teams are playing. Um, you know, the officiating may alter just a little bit uh, when you get into that environment. Um but overall, I think it's the intensity that's played with the physical play. And, um, you know, you don't see guys taking plays off at all um, in the playoffs, not championship caliber teams for sure. Um, so that's, that's the biggest adjustment in being able to play that way for 48 minutes and, and in some cases 53. 
Eddie, your broadcast partner, Mark Boyle, always likes to reserve judgment on where this team can go or his evaluation on the team until we get to about this portion of the season, sometimes a little bit later. Uh, again, to build off of Brandon's question a little bit, you having played in the league and understanding the grind of it and understanding what it takes to be a playoff team, has there been anything that jumps out to you through this first third of the season that makes you feel like this is a team that can that can get into the postseason this year? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I mean, they're incredibly tough to, to guard, right, with their pace of play. Uh, make or miss, you you see Tyrese Halliburton encouraging his teammates to get that basketball out and, and you know, and inbound as they can get the basketball off the floor and try to get something early. Um, you know, they, this team wants to stay out of set offensive plays and playing against a set defense uh, because, that's you know, that's where they are able to thrive in that transition-type style. That's hard to cover. Um, and they have guys who can shoot it. They've shown um, – some some improvement defensively. Obviously, I think that that's the, the biggest component. They've shown that they're capable at times uh, to play solid defense, rebound the basketball. That's something that's super important when you're talking about being a playoff team and a, a team that could potentially advance. Um, but you're right. You know, you, you start the season. There's one set of expectations, and then as you get, you know, about a third of the way in, about 25 games is, is the mark that I typically look at. Anywhere from between 25 to 30 games, you start to see who you are. And, and kind of have a vision of what you could be. Uh, and, and this team now has all of a sudden uh, turned into a, a playoff-type team. Well, it's going to be very intriguing to see how it continues to shape out through the final two-thirds of the season. Obviously, it continues tonight against Atlanta. Eddie, I know the grind is as real for the broadcasters as it is for the players in terms of travel, so I know that your schedule is always crazy, so we always appreciate you making time for us, and good to talk to you as always. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, love to jump on again anytime. Appreciate it, Eddie. Thank you, guys. That is Eddie Gill. Always appreciate him making some time for us of the Pacers Radio Network. You can give Eddie Gill a follow at Eddie underscore Gill 4. Joel Erickson was at Lucas Oil last night, joining us now via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as Snow blowers, power motors, parts, equipment, and so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered. He is a Colts insider for the Indy Star, as well as an analyst on Fox 59 and CBS 4. Joel, a season that continues to look for a bottom, and every week we think they've hit it. They trot out another quarterback that, as you kind of alluded to on Twitter, sounds like the exact same quarterback they trotted out the week before with just worse and worse results. Uh, I know that's a glowing intro for you to build off of, but quite frankly, wasn't very glowing last night, was it? No, I mean, that was sort of the game. They, they they managed to make it interesting the previous two games by, I mean, they still lost in, in historic fashion, but at least that was, um, I think, entertaining. Last, last night wasn't really an entertaining game. Last night was a slog. Uh, even Even from the... From the Chargers standpoint, it was a slog, and, and a lot of that has to do with a, a Colts defense that it should be said is has been um, tasked with winning games by itself, but has been pretty good most of the season. But but yeah, it, it, last night was a slog. It was tough to draw. It's tough to draw any long term conclusions out of anything we're seeing here uh, in these last three games. I think uh, you know because obviously you know Nick Foles probably isn't. Or Nick Foles isn't going to be the quarterback for this team going forward. Um, it's it's just there's just not a lot to draw out of it. It's it's sort of a a 
what what gets us to January 9th where things start happening that actually could, could change the fortunes of this franchise. Joel, it's Brendan. You probably could have whispered to me in the press box from you were just sitting right above me last night late in the third quarter, and I would have heard you with the way things were going for the Colts. Uh, where, for you, was the game lost most last night? Was there a particular moment that you thought the Colts kind of got out of it? Uh, the, 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 to me, the big chance to get back in it was Buckner and Odengo uh, strip sack Herbert and the Colts take over on the Chargers 21. And it's 13 to three. And if you score there, if you score and it becomes 13 to 10, uh, you, you got a real shot, I think, in that game. That, that was the last best chance they had to have a shot in that game. When, when they got nothing out of that, then it was pretty much done. Joel, for the Colts and all their efforts on the defensive end, I know you highlighted the number of sacks they've had this year, and not just the defensive line, but just the team as a whole. I believe you had it. It's the most since 2005 in terms of total sacks for a team, 43 on the season. How much of, at least in in the short term, as we try to slog through these final two weeks of the season, is to your point how good this defense has been, how much of that is going to get lost in one of the worst offensive stretches, maybe not in the entire history of the Colts, but at least post-2000, one of the worst campaigns or worst three-week stretches we've seen? Oh, I think I think it's going to be completely lost in it. I mean, it's it, and it should be because, of, you know, the, the defense hasn't been able to, to lift the, the record above right. – of anything else, but, but they, they also the task they were given is impossible. But yeah, I, I mean, there's been good seasons from a lot of these defensive players. You know, uh, when Rodney Thomas picked off that pass, uh, I was I was mentioning in the press box last night. Like in a different season, Rodney Thomas is one heck of a story. A seventh round rookie out of Yale comes in and, and makes three picks and looks like a starting free safety in the NFL. In a different season, that's a good story. Um, Zaire Franklin's uh, ascension to a a, uh, a really good linebacker in this league after being a special teamer for most of his career. That's a really good story. Um, Dio Odengbo here coming on here at the end and some of the flashes you've seen for, for Quiddy Pay, that, that could be big for this team going forward. Um, but none of, it, none of it really matters, and no one's really paying attention to it uh, outside those of us who cover the Colts a lot because – because of what's going on with the offense, because they've been so bad. So, yeah, I do think the defensive defensive stuff is getting lost. I mean, DeForest Buckner, I think, has been fantastic this season as the leader of the defense, probably the best player on the team, and and it's it's just gotten lost. This is obviously tough for you to analyze because it, when they bring in a new head coach, they might want to go a different direction. They might want to bring in their own staff like coaches often do. How much of this... I don't know if you want to call it transformation, but how much of this performance of the defense has been what Gus Bradley has brought to the table? Well, I, I think with the sacks in particular, um, you know, Gus Bradley brought in and wanted to bring in the, the attack front that Robert Sala uses. Sala, um, you know, kind of thinks of Bradley as his mentor, and, and they, they're very close. And that's what he wanted to bring in. That's why he hired Nate Ali. I think that that's clearly paid dividends in the pass rush for this Colts team. So he, he does deserve a lot of credit. I think the other thing he deserves a lot of credit for is just how much he's mixed stuff up, stuff up how, many, how many different things he's run. You know, he's sort of kind of pigeonholed as this Seattle Hawk three guy. Um, it hasn't been that way for a while, but that's just 
when once you're labeled something, it kind of follows you around. I think Bradley's been been very good, but I, I mean, he was good with with the Raiders last year too. And when they changed head coaches, uh, he ended up moving on. So I think that that's that's what I'm thinking is is when whenever the head coach changes, they they want to bring their own guy in, and usually it ends up being somebody different than the current coordinator, regardless of how how well they're doing. Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Stars, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Joel, to Saturday's postgame presser, surprising or no that he had no thoughts of going to Ellinger at any point in that game? Yeah, a little surprised. I mean, that was a, that was a really bad start from Nick Foles. I, I like, I, we kind of should have seen it coming. You know, I kind of said on – on uh, Fox 59, CBS 4 last week that, you know, but but Foles has been at his best in the NFL when, when people have tailored their offenses to what he does best and kind of, you know, given him a chance to do do the things he does really well. This Colts offense isn't really doing that for anybody right now. Um, they're very simple and they're not really changing around. So I think we, we probably could have seen this coming in. But, yeah, I think I, think, I don't necessarily know that think that the – I don't think that, the, that a move to Sam Ellinger necessarily fixes this offense. I just keep thinking uh, of of the three guys, Ellinger is the one at the beginning of his career. The other guys are at the end. And so in a year that is not a playoff year, very clearly headed towards the bottom, I you know, I think the argument for Ellinger is play the, play the uh, guy who's going to get the most out of the playing time. And I think for a young guy that would be the case. Well – Joel, for the second time this year, as you talked about with full struggling, I mean, they did not convert a third down. So I don't know how you realistically, right, can go back to Foles and call yourself serious. And as Saturday alludes to, I mean, he's trying to win football games. That's his job, whether or not the fan base likes that statement. So you can't go back to Foles. And then it would be the third time this year that they go to the well to revive Matt Ryan. So really, Ellinger is your final only option, right? Or no? Well, I guess I, Saturday would probably say that the, the the previous time that they didn't convert any third downs, Ellinger was a quarterback. So um, he can he can make the case that Ellinger doesn't make the offense, and I, I think it's probably the right case that it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. The last two times it's been a quarterback other than Matt Ryan, uh, the Colts haven't converted a third down. Um, I, I was surprised a little bit too at the game plan last night. Uh, I didn't understand. They came out throwing it and threw it early and often against a, a Chargers run defense that has been a bottom five run defense. And and on top of that, the Colts run game looked good. Um, you know, there have been other games where they, they tried to pound it since Saturday took over and kept trying to pound it even when it wasn't working. And this wasn't one of those games. This was a game where every time they ran it, they were ripping off chunks of yardage. I, I didn't understand why they didn't shift philosophies there. I'm not I'm not a run the damn ball guy at any cost, but when it's working, stick with it. Joel Erickson taking some time with us today on the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and the MotorShop.com, Colts Insider for the Indianapolis Star. You can follow him on Twitter at Joel A. Erickson. Joel, the debate continues to rage on, and maybe depending on which side of it you're on, it's been concluded, which is, is this team any better than they were underneath Frank Reich? And the numbers, I mean, they kind of speak for themselves. You take away the the points the defensive teams have put up. It's about 17 points per game uh, in Jeff Saturday's tenure right now. Reich is about 14 points a game, so a, a modest, if that, improvement there. Yards per game are about the same, and maybe it's a combination of 
the playoffs are hopes are dead and there's not a ton to play for than pride and job security for the future, but it doesn't seem like energy level that has gone anywhere. It, there wasn't the type of spark that Jimmer say expected. Is there any scenario outside of a courtesy that, that he's a legitimate candidate for this head coaching job uh, based on what you've heard and, and obviously taken into account prior to last night's loss, Jimmer says comments uh, in that Monday night football interview. Well, that's that's the scenario. The scenario is that Ursay is convinced that that Saturday um, has something and and wants to tap into it. That's that's the scenario, um, realistic scenario. Because I mean, ultimately, even with the number, they're, they're one in five. Right. They're worst. They're worst record wise. They they've been outscored um, ninety to nine, I believe, in the fourth quarter since he took over. You know, the the if if Reich was fired for um, the way they were playing, they, they've been worse than that since then, just from a record standpoint. So uh, it's hard to make the case from a, from a football standpoint for me. Like I said, I, I think it. I think it comes down to to what you said. If Jim Irsay believes he's a candidate, he'll be a candidate because Irsay is the only person that that really matters when it comes to this coaching search. Joel, at the start of this year, do you think Irsay or really anybody in that regime would have believed that we're talking on? December 27th and the Colts have the least amount of AFC South wins in the division out of everybody? No, I, no, I, I don't, I don't think anybody saw this coming. Um, you know, the, the, all, everything in the off season was sort of talked about how they, they'd stabilized it enough. Uh, they, the, 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 the quarterback change was going to stabilize it. They had a good roster. Um, they, they felt like that was going, that the roster was going to be able to get the most out of Matt Ryan. Basically, all of that's gone wrong. So I don't think that I don't think that that's anything that that anyone could have seen. Joel, sticking with the potential moves this off season, and again, I, I understand it's fool's gold. But when he, whenever he's going to make himself available to the media or have a sit down interview like that, you have to at least probe the issue. He seems pretty set. Does Jim say that Chris Bauer is going to be the GM? next year is that the the pulse and the vibe you're getting and, and is there any do these last games matter like if he's going on this is that interview happened after the minnesota game if he's going on national television and saying chris ballard is our gm i know he's the owner he can do whatever he wants on a whim so it's his team but it, it is that the feel that that his word is oak right now regardless of how these final three games go well, I mean, obviously, you know, people would point out that he's, you know, he said Ryan was going to be here for four right. years, four <laughs> the seven games, uh, said Reich was safe, and then and then fired him. But this, this is this has been pretty consistent. He said it three or four times since they fired Reich that that Ball- that he wants Ballard back and Ballard's going to be here in twenty twenty three. And and you know, the idea that you can't put stock into in, in what he says like i think you take it with a grain of salt given some of the decisions that have been made but he's also the only decision maker for the team so when he speaks you have to pay attention to it um and so yeah i i think that's that's my expectation based on what he said but um it's it's also fair to note that he said other things that haven't gone that way this season would it be fair joel because who knows what happens years from now? Let's say hypothetically that it is Ballard making the draft pick this spring, and if things don't go your way again next year, 
you could find yourself in even more of a heap of trouble because if it's Ballard deciding what to do with this year's draft and then things stay the same, Ursay could just find himself in a worse spot, no? Well, I think if you stick with the GM, um, you're sort of sticking with him through the next head coach, really, because the the arranged marriages where one person stays and somebody else comes in, those don't those don't usually seem to work, and they're they're going to have a new head coach. I guess if it's if it's Jeff Saturday and they're bad again next year with with him and Chris Ballard, then maybe you can clean house. But if they go out and hire somebody, um, and, and he's paired with Chris Ballard, I think you have to let that combination see it through together. Because if you if you don't, you 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 then have a head coach that you're hiring a GM for, and the GM most GMs would like to hi- would like to hire their head coach. Uh, it's it just it's just not going to work. So I think that's part of this is if, if they're going to keep him, um, ultimately that means that whatever happens with the next coach, Ballard's probably around for all of that. Joel, players are I, I don't want to say trained, but but they're so uh, well coached and well carried with with PR ingrained in them from the college ranks onward of, of you know not giving extra motivation or or not bashing you know a teammate or anything like that sometimes it happens but but it's 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 very rare in today's NFL because of how just well that that aspect of players lives have been established and that's great you know right I mean there's not a lot of controversy your locker room's going to be healthy that's great but at the same time you lose honesty Sometimes with bland, generic answers, I know that you know you and uh, your fellow Colts insider over at the Star and Nate Atkins have, have been on this beat all season, have been and following the different storylines. But as you look at the fact that they've gone through now three different quarterbacks this year, uh, they, they've gone through a number of different offensive coordinators. It, is there frustration? Does this team feel different from a player by player basis in those interactions post game? than they have, say, before Reich was let go? Yeah, especially last night. Zaire Franklin sort of just talked about the realities of, of what, you know, he said, that, you know, there's other teams that maybe aren't the most explosive on offense, but they don't, the, those teams don't put their, their defense in bad positions. They keep you in it towards the end. And he's talk, I mean, it's, it's fair. It's fair what's, what's gone on with the offense this season is the offense has turned the ball over and has put them in bad positions and hasn't kept them in games. Um, Paris Campbell also kind of said, you know, it, he understands why Saturday made the move. Um, that's kind of the move everybody makes. Uh, that's kind of the move. You're looking for a change. You're looking for a spark. They're not winning. You make a change at quarterback, but it, you know maybe it didn't. It didn't turn out the way they they expected. So I, I think I think even before that, I think there was some some indication. Like I think when the first quarterback change happened, you know most all the players said shock. Use the word shocking or uh, surprising or some some form of that. To describe that, so I think that there have been some indications that the the uh, whiplash nature of this season has taken an abs- has taken a toll on the locker room, and and it makes sense. I mean, the last three of the last four years, the Colts had had been able to rebound from slow or or somewhat rough starts, and and the reason that most people cited for why it worked was because. Uh, or why they were able to turn around and not go completely down down the down the tubes like they have this season was that they they stuck with um, they stayed the course and they stuck with what they were doing and it, it's it does seem like that players respond to that and it hasn't been that way this season. Joe is Chase McLaughlin <clears throat> the only guy realistically that is almost guaranteeing himself a spot on this team for next year? Um. 
You know, some of the younger guys, too, uh, I mean, obviously you wouldn't expect someone on a rookie deal to be gone. It, so much of it has to deal with – so much of it comes down to, you know, is – I think it's a different picture if Chris Ballard's a general manager or if somebody else was a general manager. And, and obviously, Ursay has said over and over again, you know, that, that Ballard's going to be the general manager. If Chris Ballard's a general manager, I think there's some continuity there, and I think that you probably don't have um, – Players who are playing well and under contract but don't have guaranteed money left in the deal are more likely to stay, I would I would think. Because um, usually whenever a new GM comes in, they just blow it up, regardless of whether or not the player is playing well. Um, so I think that that's the biggest thing is who's going to be here, who's not going to be here. We, we need to know the full picture of what's going to happen in the offseason. Joel, I hate to ask this question, but it, it's just it's where we're at in terms of this depth chart. It, it, I don't. I'll tell you ahead of time. I don't feel comfortable in bringing any of those three back. I've seen enough uh, to, to feel like, okay, it's time for a full shift in in where this quarterback room goes this offseason. Regardless of what camp you're in personally, whether it's draft QB or bringing a veteran, it chances you think we see any of these three of Ellinger, Foles, or Ryan in a Colts uniform next year? I, I think Ellinger's probably the most likely. Yeah. Um, you know, as a quarterback on a rookie deal who was development, like the organizational plan prior um, to Ursay deciding to go in a different direction was to develop Ellinger as a backup um, and, and see where he got to. You know, Ellinger said in the beginning of the in the beginning of this in the preseason that his this was going to take. He felt like he was in the early stages of a two year process to kind of become a uh, an NFL quarterback, a viable NFL quarterback. And I think that, you know, the rookie deal, him being on a, him being a, a former six-round pick, you can keep him around and still add two players. I, I mean, I think they have to draft one, especially with where their draft pick is. Um, but you can keep him around and see if he can – see if some of the stuff that you saw in the Washington game as, as a potential – you know, I thought like it looked in that game like he could maybe be a backup down the line. Um, see if some of that stuff continues to develop. So I, I would say Ellinger um, for sure, more so than the other two. Is Foles under contract next year? Do you know that, Joel? And if so, I mean, is that just basically going to be a wash? Foles is under contract. I think there's, uh, I think there's a little bit of it's not, it's not enough guaranteed money to matter. Um, but I, I would assume that Foles likely probably isn't back. Um, Foles, Foles came here. Um, for Frank, I mean, he came here for Frank Reich. That was that was why he he signed on to come to the Colts and be the backup. And I I, I can't imagine that, given the way the, the the game went last night and stuff like that, that it's it's not going to be a, a separation there. Joel Erickson, nice enough to join us, Colts insider for the Indy Star via the Motor Shop and Fisher's Hotline and the MotorShop.com. Joel, we talked about the relationship and the the need for a kind of a symbiotic relationship between general manager and head coach. How how critical is that going to be in Jim Mercy's coaching search? Knowing that there is a scenario where perhaps a, a bigger name coach, I, I'm not going to give examples. I mean, you know who I'm thinking of, maybe like a, a Jim Harbaugh or somebody like that, but a bigger name coach says, I, I don't like the operation that's been set up with your current general manager, or I want to make more decisions than the general manager makes. How much is that going to be a delicate process? And then how much is not shooting yourself in the foot by having a coach and GM that they're going to clash and aren't going to work together? Oh, I, I think it has to, I think, I think the only way it works is if they're on the same page. 
So whatever you're going to do at the head coach position, it has to fit with what you're doing at the general manager position. That's that's why I was saying earlier that I think that if you keep Ballard and hire a head coach with him, he's here. Right. Um, just because it, once you start trying to put people together um, who aren't comfortable together, then then you have the potential for what happened with. And I wasn't here, but I've heard enough about it to know like um, what what happened with Pagano and Grigson, where they're they're kind of heading in two different directions that's a bad spot for a franchise to be in so yeah it, it, the, the gm and the head coach they have to be on the same page uh it's the only way it works in the nfl joel in terms of your observations last question before we let you go in terms of your observation these final two weeks i mean there's there's nothing left to play for it's obviously pride and and fighting for either jobs with this team or jobs in the nfl but where if anything are you what are you monitoring these final two weeks on this beat knowing that it's it is like the the state of covering the Colts right now is that there's you're trying to slog through these final two games, make sure the efforts there. What what all are you tracking these final two weeks? Mostly mostly development. I think that's I think what happens with some of the young guys is probably the the, the most important thing going forward. You know, um, Bernard Ryman's had had some some pretty has had some 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 pretty big valleys, but if he could iron those out, you know, do you have a left tackle of future? Uh, our Odengbo and Pay. Uh, the kind of guys that you think you can build around on the defensive line, uh, you know, uh, can, can we see a little bit more of Jelani Woods and, and kind of accelerate his development as what what looks like a downfield, a true downfield weapon at tight end that they haven't really had here since the, the good year, Eric Ebron year in 2018. That, that's the kind of stuff I think that matters the most going forward and is, you know, what, what are the pieces that we can use uh, going forward as we try to rebuild this thing and rebuild this offense. Joel, always appreciate you making time for us. Good to catch up with you. And uh, again, like I mentioned, they can find your work at Indy Star, Fox 59, CBS4, uh, anything else I'm leaving out there? No, that's pretty much it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Appreciate Thanks, Joel. you, Joel. That is Joel Erickson of the Indy Star. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Joel A. Erickson. He's brought to you by the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers as well as snow blowers, power tools, equipment, and so much more. Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. Our next guest is a guy that always looks quite dapper in the Indianapolis Colts press box from Wish TV. It's our guy Charlie Clifford, who you hear often on these airwaves. Charlie was in for JMV just a matter of weeks ago, did a terrific job. Cliff is one of our favorites, and he's going to talk some Colts, maybe a little bit of Pacers, too. He's on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Cliff, number one, I think you could have shot a cannon through the bottom row of the Indianapolis Colts press box and not hit anybody last night. That did not feel like Monday Night Football. I don't know if it was because it was yeah. holidays or just interest level. But number two, you probably could have shot a cannon on that football field and it would not have struck a Colt. There was just no emotion on that sideline, Cliff. You're right. I've noticed that, too. You know, you try to look for things since we're sitting up there on the moon at Lucas Oil. You know, what what can you gather um, shout out to the crowd yesterday. I thought Colts Nation showed up. You know, this is, as you've documented very well the past few weeks, been just a very trying season for anyone who bleeds blue. And for that crowd to show up and to be into it early when nothing was going right, those first three possessions, three and out, interception, interception, 
the fact that people stayed until I think I wrote down like the 820 mark in the fourth quarter after the failed was the failed fourth down and that emptied really the the gates for the rest of the night but I've noticed that this season with the sideline you know I think this is a real high character group and everyone's done in that locker room you know first class job of saying the right thing and not pointing fingers and throwing anyone under the bus you know I remember back in the 2017 season when it got really ugly at the end and you know T.Y. Hilton called out the offensive line and we saw ultimately, you know, that wasn't a good thing for the rest of that season. And T.Y., you know, walked that back and apologized. And ultimately that showed how much he really grew as a leader, I think, in his final handful of years in Indianapolis to the role he played last season on this team when, you know, last year, a year ago, he goes and makes a handful of key catches in Arizona, including a touchdown, to push that team, you know, within the brink of, making the postseason after such a slow start. And that was on a really tough week with guys down to COVID and just a great scene post game with him and Ballard bear hugging. And, you know, that felt like what Frank Reich said post game after that game. Again, this is a year ago last night or two nights ago. You know, this is the deepest Colts team he thought he had ever had in Indy. And that was a testament to the scouting department and the depth, and now you're sitting here, you know, 365 days later saying, you know, just just how did this transpire the way it did? Um, and back to your original point, you know, look, there hasn't been throwing of helmets. There haven't been instances where I've seen players shouting at each other and having to be separated due to frustration. And I don't know. I think that kind of cuts both ways. Is that a team that's, very in tune with reality of where it's at. I, I think that could be maybe a red flag uh, potentially, but definitely, you know, you don't want you don't want your locker room turning on itself either. So that's a tricky one to figure out when when you look back at this season. I think Charlie, a mutual friend of yours and mine, and one of your coworkers, uh, the great <laughs> Peter Hood, uh, who yeah. uh, who I know is 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 taking these as, as frustrated as as anybody uh, that is covering the Colts this season, highlighted <laughs> yeah. yesterday yeah. that uh, in four primetime games this season, Colts offense has scored four total touchdowns while turning the ball over twelve times, surrendering nineteen sacks. Mm. National laughing stock was his exclamation point on that tweet he fired off last night. Uh, as you guys, I know you guys are always working together on the podcast, and 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 you guys are covering this team together. But it, that, how do you kind of encapsulate what Jeff Saturday's short tenure has been when you look at the fact that they were still a playoff team, or at least had a more realistic shot than the three percent we were joking about last week when mm-hmm. Reich was here, to now Saturday's taken over this offense and, and he's made some, I don't want to say excuses, but he's brought up the fact that, oh, I haven't brought into my whole crew or whatever. We've been short-staffed. But it, at the end of the day, you were brought here to be a spark plug and save this season to an extent, and it just hasn't gone that way. Yeah, well, hey, Peter Hood, you know, always there with the number that, you know, you, you're probably looking for. How do I proper properly <laughs> tell this illustrate this story and Pete finds it with the four touchdowns and the 19 sacks in really as you said in four primetime games that Jim Ursay spent 
four years campaigning for. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to 2018 when that team came out of nowhere with Andrew under center, obviously, and just the frustration of we have a great product, we have a star, why is this brand not in front of the whole country? And I think at that point it was a fair argument, especially with the, the record in the division that they had boasted about at that point in time. But to your point with Jeff, Zaire Franklin put it in great perspective last night. You know, he, locker room's emptying, emptying out. That, that locker room emptied, emptied out very quickly last night, as you would expect. But he's always there to, you know, answer anything with, with great thought. And that's why he's a captain, why he should be a pro bowler as a potential alternate here, hopefully in the next few weeks. But, I mean, his quote was, look, a lot of these coaches aren't going home and seeing their kids during the week, and that's when you have a full staff. So to be three minds down, to be three sets of hands down, you know, it is jarring, I think, behind the scenes, the fact that Reggie Wayne signed on to kind of be the spark, to be the – the link to the glory days and to bring, let's just face it, a swagger to a team that needed it coming off last season. And now he finds himself splitting time between trying to get Alec Pierce on the same page with Nick Foles in four days. And then also shuffling into the tight end room and looking at Jelani Woods and trying to explain to him how to feel things out, you know, after, okay, we're going to script the first so many plays, but then, you know, this is how I need you to to figure out how to get open when plays break down. You know, Kevin Mawai, who was an assistant offensive line coach, is now in the tight end room telling Kylan Granson, hey, here's how you, you know, disguise yourself as an undersized blocker, and here's here's how you can get better at trying to keep you know, this quarterback who you know, who are, regardless of who it is back there the rest of the year, it's not someone that's going to be able to get out of the pocket and do anything off script. So you can tell on everybody's face, really, I think the past two weeks, just the weight of this season and the toll this has taken on everyone who works in that building, anyone who drives to the Colts complex every morning, there has been an extra just unprecedented, I think, for folks who have worked under Chris Ballard uh, wait this season, and now you're seeing it trickle onto the field. I mean, let's face it, last night was a team that even on a long week looked tired, uh, looked you know, like they know that the clock's ticking down on this season, and you can only you can only put that to the back of your mind for so long. And I think the defense specifically, did that for much longer than some anticipated, and that should be taken into note. But at this point, you know, you're, we're all watching the same thing, and that, that starts from the top down, and, and now the, the countdown to April begins. And you're right, the Jeff I'm, – I'm being long-winded here, but the Jeff Saturday idea, it was a, you know, high-end – high end it's a miraculous story it would have been one of the best stories in the national football league had he turned this team into a a playoff team and low end let's face it if it falls apart that was going to be the best for the long term of this organization in terms of of landing a top five pick and landing a centerpiece that 
fans can be excited about because that piece isn't here right now. And that's very clear. Charlie Clifford's our guest on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Cliff might be easy to say now that he kind of stunk up the joint last night, did not convert a third <laughs> down, but did it ever make sense to you that Nick Foles was the starter last night? Well, I'll throw it back at you guys. I'm sure you've talked about it. I think Nick is part of the reason that Matt Ryan's been able to get through this season. I mean, that that room is tight, as they've said. Sam Ellinger being a very, you know, high-class guy who's just very self-aware. You know, these are very three self-aware people, I think, who – no, <laughs> you, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I think at this point, you know, what what do you have to lose? And, you know, Nick's been a good sport. I, I think if he would have handled things differently, which obviously he never would have, he's Nick Foles, that's, that's how he's built his reputation. But had it been a different situation with a backup who maybe didn't play ball with, not being able to get a chance that first time around when being demoted to third string. I think, you know, it's a simple saying, but good things happen to good people. And obviously Nick Foles wants to put something on tape to potentially extend his career. He is 33. I think there is football left in the right situation, you know, for a spot start when he can get reps with first team guys and, and kind of stay in tune. I mean, Paris Campbell told us straight up last night, look, this is tough. Nick Foles didn't expect to play this season. I mean, it's week 16. You, you, you do not expect to play. If you've been sitting on the bench that long, you've been demoted for a guy who's never played, who's younger than you. And here you have four and a half days to figure it out. Well, now you know what it looks like. So I don't blame anybody. I'm not saying it was the wrong decision. There is no right decision at this point. So giving him a chance to go out and do something while you, let's face it, the the financials of Matt Ryan's future are more important than seeing what Matt Ryan has to give you. And the Ellinger one is what baffles me. I think it's going to be a very interesting week to see. I expect at a minimum that Ellinger would get the final game of the season, but to go completely 180 on, you know, this is a guy who played well in the second half against the commanders and had you in position to win a game. If Michael Pittman jr. Potentially doesn't drop a wide open pass. Uh, he has a dud against new England. Well, you know, look at the list of young quarterbacks who've had a dud in that situation without their starting running back and with it, with an offensive line that was at its worst. So, to me, that's that's much more of a baffling topic than, you know, Nick Foles getting a couple, you know, freebies at the end of the year. Todd Clifford, nice enough to take some time with us of Wish TV on the Motor Shop in Fisher's hotline and the motorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power equipment, and so much more. They have you covered at the Motor Shop. Charlie, when you look around the NFL and you look at all the, the, the train wrecks that are 
in the top five. <laughs> where, where where do you place this team? They had playoff expectations start the year. Mm-hmm. Are are they are they as bad? I mean, I, I think they are, particularly offensively. But are <laughs> are they as bad? And, and are they in that? Do they deserve to be in that same breath as the Texans in terms of the worst teams in the NFL right now? You know, I don't even put. Houston had a roadmap right. here of that, right? So to me, this conversation is Denver, Los Angeles, and the Colts. The Bears and the Texans are playing the long game. And Bears fans have had plenty to smile about. I mean, Justin Fields gives you one of the top three plays on a weekly basis. And there's a plan there. In Houston, uh Maybe a bit of a different situation, but let's face it, that Colts team last night does not beat the Houston Texans. No. And I don't think it's a particularly close game. So don't hold your breath for this to be, you know, who knows what, what could happen here in two weeks at home because you'll certainly be rotating your starters out, I would think, um, at some point in that game if if they aren't sitting already. So Denver – uh, due to the financials of Russell Wilson, due to the fact that you mortgaged your future, Jimmy, you know that division better than anybody. I mean, Hate that, to see it. It's tough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. First-year coach, you know, one of, what, five first-year coaches to be let yep. go before the end of the first year, which I'd forgotten Lou Holtz was on that list with the Jets. That's just it's crazy how uh, – look, you can always come back. So hopefully Nathaniel Hackett can – can figure it out, but I think that one tops the Colts and then the Rams just, you know, a historic step back for a Super Bowl champion, knowing that they brought back that team um, to, you know, pretty much what it was. Whitworth retires, OBJ gets hurt, uh, but to, to, to really clock out that quickly just with a leader like Sean McVay, I, I didn't think that was going to be possible. So I think the Colts get the bronze medal in that they're standing, you know, a couple spots down on the podium looking at Russ, looking at Russ and, um, you know, uh, I don't know who, who's the face of the Rams, you know, Baker feels like they're, yeah. Okay. There you go. It, it feels like the Rams are getting a bit of a pass though. You know, they, they swung big with the trade, and they got their Lombardi, so I, Denver, I feel like, will walk away as the punching bag this season. But, you know, unfortunately for Colts fans, you're you're right there next to them, which is absolutely unbelievable considering what we were, you know, what we saw and what we heard this summer. It's just, it's bizarre, quite honestly. We were uh, getting plenty of Broncos countries let's ride from, from Eddie yesterday <laughs> here on the show. Cliff, yeah, uh, we, I know it. Cliff, I'll send you the break with this. So I want yeah. you to put your Santa hat on. Um, oh. With my Didn't take it off yet? It's yeah, that's on. what I'm saying. Well, keep it on because you're going to need it to Chris, answer this I know question. Chris Presley, Chris Presley has his hat on. We love CP. CP yeah. is a terrific dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, is the Colts' next franchise quarterback in this group of Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, mm-hmm. Will Levis, Anthony Richardson? or Hendon Hooker, number one, is the Colts franchise quarterback in that group? And number two, whose camp are you in? I know it's unrealistic, but I am the biggest Get Bryce Young to Indianapolis supporter there is, and I hope you're in the same camp as me. 
Wait, say that last part again. I missed. I, I am the president of Get the Bryce Get Bryce Young to Indianapolis <laughs> as fast as possible club. I would love you to join me. No, I. You know these things change as it feels like sometimes unless there is the the godsend quarterback, which the most recent one I believe was Trevor Lawrence in yeah. terms of you you knew going into that year who the number one pick was going to be. I, I tell everyone I don't watch enough college football. You know, I don't I have not sat down and watched enough of any of these guys to know. So I don't know. I don't know, BK. And that's um you know, unless you have that topic. I think it's gonna be very interesting what Seattle does. Because yes. they have Denver's pick. And everyone's trying to figure out, all right, if, if you're five, you know, how many quarterbacks are going to be off the board? Um, and then you ha- always have the mystery scenario of, oh, God, here come the Bears to get Mitch Trubisky. You know, oh, no one saw that coming. So, you know, are you – I think the number one cr- question, if Jim Irsay retains Chris Ballard, will, you know, just be his comfort level with potentially sitting at five or going against – everything he's ever been taught, everything in his rule book of, you know, potentially mortgaging significant draft stock in the future to move up a couple slots to guarantee you get your quarterback that, you know, you, you feel best with. Um, I don't, you know, obviously the draft starts after barring anything crazy the last two weeks draft starts after whatever Houston does at quarterback at once. So, if that's Bryce or Levis, um, it sounds like it's going to be one of those two, right? Right. I mean, I think uh, it's just funny because you look at Levis's build, and I haven't seen a ton of his tape, but he it's just such a similar build to Carson Wentz. Um, big, stocky guy, you know, big arm, and um, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting few months, Andy. Buckle up. That's just that's just the bottom line, and you got to you got to pray. Because I don't think anybody knows. I don't. I don't think there's. Look at Lawrence. I mean, it's been. It's now you know taken years for him to to settle in and to play the football that you know everybody thinks you're going to walk out and be be a winner day one, and that's just it's so rare. And I, I you know, they do have some pieces that it's not a rebuild. It's not like you're walking into Houston. I think that's a different situation, but. It's also not the team that you you convinced yourself potentially that it was going to be this year, and you know that that's not going to change overnight. So we shall see, gentlemen. He's the we best, Charlie Clifford from Wish TV. He is with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop dot com. Cliff, we always appreciate the time, my man. Hope you're having a great holiday season. We'll talk soon. You're the man, Charlie. Hey, thanks, boys. Keep up the great work. See you, Cliff. Charlie Clifford with us on the fan.